0: Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at PrizePicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to 99.94, the sound of cricket. Download our app for all our podcasts and commentary. Our shows include Red Inca and Double Century, which are hosted by me, plus shows on the West Indies, England, South Africa, Sri Lanka and India. You can find them all via our social media at 9994DM or by searching in your podcast or YouTube places for the name of your team and 99.94, where we talk cricket. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber, and this show is part of the 99.94 Network. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Let's get into the comments from our friendly Patreons. patrons, patrons from Patreon. I think you get the point. Thomas says... With the light issues in the most recent Royal Pindi test, should we redefine a test match to be a nominal 30 hours, 150 overs duration, so it could be six five-hour days or four 7.5-hour days, as required for the location uh, being used? He does point out that it can't be shorter than three days. Uh, I'm not sure you can fit enough hours in, into the other days. Yeah, I, I've been wondering for a while. I'm not sure financially. I'm not sure financially that Pakistan would take a loss if they had six-day tests. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not talking so much about the crowd, but the money you would get back from the TV. Obviously, you wouldn't do it all the time. You probably wouldn't make your money back from, I don't know, Bangladesh or Zimbabwe or West Indies. But perhaps if you were playing Australia or, um, you know, um, Pakistan, as um, you know, the sort of top four or five teams were playing amongst themselves, there's a possibility for that. And Pakistan's the one that makes the most sense, of course. It's just what you've said, Thomas, requires too much lateral thinking and flexibility. For those who don't know, you know, test cricket has been played over three days, four days, five days, six days, and then timeless. I think that's right. I don't think there was ever seven day test matches, um, unless you count rest um, days. So we used to have a lot more flexibility, they, and they used to do that, you know. Um, there was there was certainly a point in cricket where people were doing things uh, that made a lot more sense on a per game basis. And then somehow we convinced ourselves that test cricket was a five day sport. I think Royal Pindy is a place you can't play um, a five day match, uh, you know, without probably it being a day night game. I just don't see how that's ever, you know, we've seen it again and again, you lose so many hours. Um, It hasn't affected the result of this game, but England had to play in a way that no one has ever played before to force that result. So um, I think there should be more flexibility with all those sorts of things. Don't see it coming. Um, I know that, you know, I'd be doubtful that many of the newer Test Nations will ever see many five-day Test matches unless they play them amongst themselves. Um, I think more often than not, uh, there'll be four-day matches. So there's already a flexibility there. With day-night cricket, we have, you know, more flexibility available to us as well. Um, The one thing I would say is that the uh, seven-and-a-half-hour days of cricket, if you're talking to me as a coach or an analyst or, you know, administrator, I'd be like do I really want my best players being under that much extra stress compared to a normal day? So I think you do have to weigh those sorts of things up as well. Uh, Surf says, as Test cricket has evolved and England's recent batting exploits notwithstanding, what are the expected ranges for averages per batting position in Test cricket? I mean, that's a, you know, if the, the global average, I can't I can't remember how far this goes back, but certainly since World War Two has hovered on either side of about 32 runs per wicket. It has slight fluctuations up, it has slight fluctuations down. It has certainly had periods where it's been easier to score and there's certainly been periods where it's been harder to score. Uh, we just went through an incredibly easy to score period and now we're in a very hard to score period. Um, I do think that you have to factor in the era that the players are playing in. So the the the, the, the idea of England and, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I still don't see how another team is going to be able to play like England. It's not that individual players won't be able to do it. But I don't see another team with enough batting talent uh, who can score at around a run of ball in white ball cricket without losing their wicket, who will be able to come into red ball cricket and play with that kind of freedom. So I would say that all the averages probably don't change that much. But if you are looking at a player's average now and you're comparing it to a player from pre 2016, you have to remember that pre 2016 was an absolutely great batting era and we're not in one at the moment. And uh, that's one of the reasons that England have tried this new style, right? Like, uh, I think they realized that playing Test cricket the way that uh, they were wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, Lee says, do statisticians keep records on slip fielders? Uh If so, who has the highest catch rate in the current game? Oh, I should know this one. So Crickviz, um ho- hold it, Lee, um, and I'm trying to think. I think Faf was really high up. And there's someone else. Oh, I should know this one. Sorry. Um, yeah, Faf, before he retired, was certainly right at the top of the list. Ben Stokes was quite low. Uh, there's a couple of other like really good fielders that were quite low as well. Um, and I think before that, I think Ross Taylor uh, was right up there. Uh, I, I think Ross Taylor and, and Faf Duplassi are the two that come to mind from that point of view. And I think for a long period, Alistair Cook was at the uh, you know the bottom end of that um uh but yeah so there aren't many statisticians who keep stuff like that there's a guy called oh my god i've forgotten his name now too um there's an australian statistician called charles davis who went back through all the crick info and maybe even the crick buzz scorecards to give us from what 2000 onwards uh fielding data um and so There's a lot of good information that he has uh, from that. And now Crickviz obviously do the same thing. I don't think Opta do it, but a lot of the um, other analytical houses that work for teams certainly do it as well. Varun says, are you able to decipher how Indian batting went from the best players to spin to really poor, if not the worst? India really can't be a serious contender for the 2023 World Cup if the batters can't intimidate opposition spinners. Yeah, I don't think that's right. I think that's something that... It's sort of become a thing on Indian Twitter. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but the last time I checked, uh, the Indian players were still absolutely dominating spin far more than I think players from any other country. It doesn't mean that you didn't have people like, you know, Joe Root, for instance, who, you know, uh, who had a very good record against spin, but m- the majority of the best players were still against um, spin. I do think that the way that a lot of that Older generation of Indian players was playing spin the more that DRS especially is being used in India games, I think the less capable they are of playing in maybe their more traditional ways and we have seen uh we have seen players you know change things ever so slightly. I think spin bowling's slightly quicker now, and that probably comes largely from playing against uh well Indian batters but also maybe um you know some of the peak um, Sri Lankan batters as well. It's very hard to be a slow spinner in international cricket now. So the idea is to put more pace on it. That probably takes away the ability to come down the wicket. Um, and if you can't come down the wicket uh, to a bowler, you're know you you're left with basically two options, uh, that a sweep or playing very late. And I don't think either of those are maybe the most natural um, positions for Indian players. I think the sweep is probably... Well, it was a Western invention, but that was probably before Asia was uh, really, you know, the top level of cricket. But, yeah, uh, uh, the sweep sort of comes out of English cricket originally. I think that as someone who's, wor- you know, played cricket in Australia in, in, and in England, I think it maybe got slightly bigger in, in those places. Um, and then when the reverse sweep happened, that was a way of putting pressure back. I would say that if you look at the Indian players, I think they still play spin slightly more traditionally, but the, sp- the kind of spin has changed. Um, I'll have a look at it Warren uh, and if and if you're right um, I'll happily do a video on it but I'm pretty sure that there isn't that much of a difference um it, it's it, you know it, that what I should shouldn't say that what I would say is I would say that still the better players of spin would probably still come from India and you know that's been the case pretty much from uh, you know the be- beginning of the game Pakistan probably not as good as playing um, spin. And Sri Lanka is the other one that certainly has been very good at it. Although if you look at Sri Lanka's recent T20 record, it's not so good. Uh, If you're asking specifically about white ball cricket, I think what the situation is, is you have a bunch of uh, batters um, who are knocking around the middle overs and it maybe makes them look like they're playing spin worse than they are. But that's another
0: question. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With the NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games, no matter where you live, because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Kem
1: says, from a purely subjective perspective, it seems like Beth Mooney is a slightly better keeper than Alyssa Healy. However, uh, it doesn't seem likely she'd ever get the gloves while they're in the same team. Uh if they were to be of a similar standard with the gloves uh by team management, uh could they have decided that Beth is a better in the outfield? I think it would I, I think you you're in danger, Cam, if because Alyssa Healy had the gloves, worked her way in, became one of the best players in the world. I think you're there's a danger if you just take the gloves off her. There's two cases that I'm aware of where Players were completely freed up by taking the gloves off. Well, three, actually. So McCullum's one, Kumar Sangekara's the other, and um I always get it confused. It was Everton Weeks was the keeper, wasn't it? Was it Walcott? I think it was Walcott was it wicked keeper. And they all were much better when the gloves were taken off them. But that's, I think, certainly in McCullum's case, uh Sangakkara's case, I think they wanted to give the gloves up. And in Walcott's case, um, was it Everton Weeks? That's going to annoy me. Um, too many W's. Um, you know, in Barbados at the one time. Um, uh, he couldn't keep anymore because of his back. Uh, so I don't think he specifically gave up the gloves. But if you come to a more recent um decision, remember what happened with England when they took the gloves off Bairstow and started playing at, as a specialist bat. It's now it's taken him what two, three, four years to recover from that. He had a role. He's the sort of person who, you know, likes that role and thinks of himself as a keeper. He's not a makeshift keeper in the way that a lot of other um, keepers uh, who bat are. You know, he was a keeper from a fairly young age. And I think he felt like, and it caused him problems. Um, he wasn't happy that folks came in. He wasn't happy the Butler came in as a specialist bat behind him. All these sorts of things were happening. So I wonder if that is not the other possibility. Um, but you, you're right. It might be that Beth Mooney is is better. I mean, I haven't seen enough of, of Beth Mooney to think that she's so talented that you would upset it. And if they're both happy with their roles in the side, I think I'd probably just leave it uh, unless unless I was like, you know, and I've worked for teams where one wicketkeeper is better than the other. Uh, it's not a conversation. If, if they're both specialists, it's not an easy conversation to have with anyone because, uh, you know, so many of those players think of themselves as keepers and for you to go up and go, well, actually, this person, but it's not, and especially if you want to keep them happy and in the side. So it's a tricky one. It's, it's a really interesting question though. Will says, can you imagine how happy Shane Warren would have been at Ben Stokes' declaration? Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the 90s, the sort of aggressive declarations we saw back then don't feel as aggressive now, although I can't remember who it was. It was a statistician who went through it and still, you know, certainly in the Mark Taylor era, there was quite a few. As someone who's, who's seen worn captain uh, Victoria, he was a very punchy captain in that perspective. And uh, there was probably a few games that Victoria lost because he took big chances on, you know, I've heard similar things from players who played with him at Hampshire as well, but they loved that, environment because it wasn't it was a free environment i talked to a player recently and i can't remember who it was who played under warn i can't even remember if he played under him at rajasthan or at london i can't remember where it was but he was saying as a coach he was kind of disastrous because he didn't really want to coach you know he was off on his phone making deals and you know looking for dates and all the things that you know smoking cigarettes all the things that Shane horn likes to do but the one thing this guy said was like he could understand the overall um, love that so many people had for Warren because he basically came up and he filled you with confidence and then told you to go out and be yourself. And if you failed, that's all right because he he backed you. And I think that's something that, you, you know, when we were making fun of him on commentary uh, and everything else, we're looking at it at a very different way than Shane Warren looked at cricket. And I think that McCullum and Ben Stokes probably have that more that similar kind of mindset. And so, yeah, I think Shane Warne would have absolutely loved this whole era of Test cricket. Well, this one team doing it anyway at the moment. Aditya says, based on their recent performances and the talent pool available to them, do you think the current England has the potential to reach a level just below the great Australian and West Indian sides? Uh, And how much do you think uh, the lack of a great spin ball would hamper their progress? Um, Okay, so I'm assuming because of the way you phrase this question lower down, and I'll answer a lower bit next, you're talking about red ball cricket. I do not think this England team is about to go on a, a huge, as, as it looks to me right now, I do not think it's about to go on a 10-year run um, or a five-year run of being the best team in the world. Um, I still don't think they were that good against South Africa. We've still got the rest of this um, a series to go. I, I think that, they should still be really patchy when they travel overseas because they won't always be able to get those 20 wickets, which I'm not sure there's anything in the baseball mantra that I've seen is slightly different than that. Uh, they don't have a great spinner, as you point out, which is certainly, I think, even more so that in the, Indian, um, uh, sorry, India, the West Indies era, I think is even a more important thing. So, no, I don't think... If you ask me now, that's not what I think is happening here. What I think is happening here is a team has come up with a really unique method that completely fits their um, main skills but shouldn't work in all places. And so if that's the case, when you track it back so far, it's worked on when the ball was flat and then when the pitch was flat and when the ball was moving around, they suddenly looked like the old England a little bit more. So we're a long way away from seeing them on that kind of run. In the red ball game. Uh, so then you say their white ball. Uh, do you, also, do you see their white ball team is the best ever, or do they still rate a little lower than the Australian team of 99 to 2007? I mean, I think they have to win another T20 World Cup or World Cup from that perspective. They have to get equal with Australia on, you know, three major trophies. So they've only played in what, 2019. So then they'll have 2023. 20, um, and they have 2016. Yeah, so they've had more chances in Australia to win. So from that perspective, I don't think so. I also think that Australia was, I don't know how to put this, but a more well-rounded side. It would look really out of place in, in modern cricket, but at the time, it was a very, you know, you had Brett Lee's exp- express pace, um, you know, for times. You had, you know, someone like Damien Fleming swinging the ball. You had Paul Rifle who could hold a bat. You had Glenn McGrath. Then you had Shane Warne. Um, they had Jason Gillespie, uh, Brad Hogg, uh, sean Tate, Nathan Bracken, Shane Watson. you know, just I haven't even mentioned Hayden or Gilchrist yet, right? So I think this is something that me and Barat were talking about that pound for pound, the best teams that we're seeing from the West Indies in England, if you sorry the best teams you've seen from West Indies in Australia, if you line them up, probably look better uh, from that perspective. What England has created so far is a system where you can plug in Phil Salt and you can um, plug in Sam Curran and these other players who aren't quite on that top level. Australia did that to a degree, but Australia was still picking based on talent, not on fit. And I don't think there was an overall mode of Australian cricket it was just that they were better than everyone else and they thought about white ball cricket in a, in, in a different way. But mostly it was talent that I think won the forum. So the England system is different from that perspective. Um, at the moment, I need, they need to keep going. But if you told me in five years' time that they'd won another one-day World Cup um, and another T20 World Cup, I think, I'd, you know, you'd be finding it hard at that point to say that they weren't something uh, quite special. Um, but that's going to be, you know everyone is everyone over the next couple of years is going to be trying to work out if there's a way of disrupting this method. And at the moment I would say that teams haven't quite managed that, but, uh, and I don't think anyone can catch up to them in white ball cricket right at the moment, but there are certainly things that you could do with the Indian team. I would have thought perhaps with the South African team, um, maybe Australia or New Zealand that, that, they could steal like a one-off knockout game um against them uh, every now and again but yeah that they should if they keep playing the way they're playing they should certainly be in the conversation with the best teams renee says uh was was late last time to ask but what do you make of the super sub rule in the IPL from next year if they're going to do it i th- wish they just do it properly of all the leagues that can afford to have substitutions just do it. Just have the best batters um, uh, facing the best bowlers. If that's where T20 is going, let's just get there. Super sub rule, you know, I, d- I don't know if the full details were released. When I had a look, I couldn't find anything online of the full details yet. Um, but that the whole idea of the super sub and the X factor and all, all that's nonsense. If we're going to do it, let's do it properly. Let's have substitutions. Let's see what that does to the game. Um, I think that's a far more interesting thing uh than than what they're doing at the moment. The all-rounders thing, uh, see, I don't even think, I've been thinking about this a lot. I still think that you will be able to develop in uh, all-rounders within a substitution um, setting because let's say you have 10, let's say you have 15 players and you can make, I don't know, 15 players in your squad and you can make three subs or five subs or whatever that may be. An all-rounder is still going to be quite important for that. And if you have uh, a player in your 10 batters who can also bowl, that means you now have more than five bowlers. So I still think from that uh, way of thinking that all-rounders will still be handy. It's possible if you get to the point of, let's say, I don't know, something like baseball uh, where, you know, you have... Yeah, you know, unlimited substitutions, that's probably the point at which all-rounders would fall apart, would be my guess. Uh, Renee says, hypothetical question. If cricket moves to a 15-a-side game like baseball, it's like I just read your question again, Renee. Uh, With each team playing nine batters and six bowlers, uh, which team would improve the most and which team would suffer the most? I feel like England might lose a lot of their inherent advantage while India would basically have all their problems solved. South Africa would be pretty good. I think I'm trying to think of another team. I mean, if you look at South Africa's best six white ball bowlers and the variety that they have within them, you know, they could pick Simon Harmer in that kind of a setup as well, if if they wanted to. Um, you know, have three absolute frontline um spin bowlers when they needed them, uh, without it damaging their batting at all. Um, so I think they'd be pretty good. I feel like it should help New Zealand as well, but I wonder if New Zealand although they have Mark Chapman and other guys coming through, don't they? Yeah, I wonder about their overall because you're getting into a position then when you have to find, you know, four extra players of quality. Um, so that might be tricky. For England, no, I don't think it bothers England as much as you think it does. Because I think what they would then do is there's a lot of players who just slam, you know, who who have specific bowling skills or batting skills that they might want. You know, they'd be able to bring in someone like Benny Howell into that situation if they wanted to, or Jake Lintot those sorts of players that they haven't been able to fit into their team so far. Um, and it also means that they don't need to uh, rely on the all-round talent uh, or at, you know, to win as many games as they have. So they can, there's always going to be probably, you know, a Tom Banton-like player coming through who's going to smash the ball or, you know, Alex Hales. So they should be able to fit more of those sorts of hitters into a side. It would certainly help India, uh, you know, the, the video series that I'm doing at the moment, I think India's lack of all rounders at that level is a problem. Although I do actually think they have more all round talent than they think they do, but perhaps they're looking for magic all rounders rather than uh, match up all rounders, uh, which is perhaps one way of looking at that sort of thing. But yes, no, I think it would help India. I'm trying to think if Australia it would help Australia. It may not help Australia at the moment. But there are probably eras where it would have really helped Australia. But yeah, South Africa is the one that instantly comes off to the top of my head um, because they have such a strong white ball bowling lineup. And you know, at, at the moment, they're basically asking a lot of their batters to chip it around because they don't even have a number of seven. Um, they could free up a lot of their players uh, with a you know nine or ten man um, bowling a uh, batting lineup. Sandeep says, "What to make of Ian Chapel's recent article, where he's opined that only those nations with the necessary infrastructure and good first-class cricket should get Test status? I mean, I I think it's a great um column. I don't know how he flew back to 1930 to write it, but um, you hear this every now and again. Everyone should be allowed to play Test cricket. This idea of granting people status is still stupid. Uh, we should have divisions of it." And you should, should certainly have to earn your place in the higher divisions. Absolutely no problem with that. That's how sport works. This idea that, you know, you need proper test infrastructure. The, te- the two newest teams have come in, don't even play test cricket. <laughs> I, I don't even understand what the point of that column was. Um, it's, I think it's a really, you know, old-fashioned thinking and uh, it's not for me. I, you know, I didn't read that much of it, if I'm being honest. I just didn't care. Sachmo says, how should England's future opponents adapt their tactics to counter Basbol? Well, if you're playing them at home, I'd be um certainly doing it on a green, you know, a green top or a huge spinning wicket. I we would need to see this more and more in conditions when the ball is on top. I think it seems to work pretty well when the bat is on top, if we're being honest. Um, what happens when the ball is on top? That's the really interesting thing for me. So if I was playing any, you know, even if I was, I don't know, who has the flattest pitches in the world now used to be Australia. I'm not, I suppose it's still Australia. New Zealand had some flat pitches for a while, didn't they? Green, but flat. Um, yeah, I'd be making sure that, you know, there was, and that England are heading to New Zealand. I'd just be making sure that the ball was flying around everywhere. Um, I think that's the most important thing. And the other thing that I would say is, I think you have to start playing with the batter's egos a little bit more. And by that, I mean, maybe some ridiculous fields, uh, maybe some where you have like three catchers and everyone else on the rope. You are like, well, if you want to keep scoring at a run of ball, you can. We think you'll eventually nick off and we'll take the catch here. Yeah? Um, th- those sorts of fields, maybe in-out fields for spinners, things like that, where you're just like, if you're going to hit the ball into the crowd, there's not much we can do about that. But you're going to have to do it over someone's head. And I... I feel that at times when I've watched them play like this, the teams have, you know, they've put out two and three and four fielders. Put out six. Show us how much you attack now. Essentially, that's what Michael Vaughan did to the Australians. They started using boundary riders, and it did affect Australia because before, if if an Australian batter had a wide ball, they would just slash at it, knowing that there was a very big chance that they weren't going to be caught by anyone in the ring and that they could beat points. That's instant four runs puts pressure back on the bowler they now just need to knock a single when Michael Vaughan starts putting out you know a deep point and then or deep cover point and then uh you know deep backward square leg or deep forward square leg suddenly those shots where you're you're playing with less pressure uh, are only getting you one run but you're still playing the attacking shot so there is actually still a chance of you being um dismissed so I just think there are different ways of thinking about it from that perspective i thought that puck is, and, and just some old-fashioned ones as well you know bowling with a 7-2 field or an 8-1 field if they're going to play reverse scoops and laps and everything okay I, I still think that that is a better way of putting pressure on them and i think as it currently stands we haven't seen that and partly because what i'm saying is quite revolutionary right like kane williamson's get, if I, if I went to cam Williamson as an analyst and said we should have three slips and six guys on the boundaries uh, once they've hit a, couple of, hit a couple of fours or sixes, he's probably going to look at me like I'm a nutcase. I'm not sure this current England team is going to be that happy to push the ball around. Now, maybe they will. And so maybe my strategy doesn't work anyway. I feel they're going to want to, especially with certain players, I think they're going to dom- want to dominate a little bit more than that. And um I've got no problem with that, you know. I don't know for Zach Crawley, maybe you start him with slips, but instead of having a mid off, right? You have a long off, um, and you keep bowling that length that you know he nicks off on. Um, and he's he's going to be trying to push the ball to mid off, um, and you hope that you can um, uh, nick him off. But you've also you're taking away a lot of wind out of his sails of him being able to hit the ball, bang the ball down the ground, and just pick up fours all the time. It's little things like that that I think could work. Um, but I mean t- until we see it, I don't know. But for now, I just make the pictures as fun as possible. James says, is there anything substantial behind the apparent dislike of the current Australian team, Pat Cummins in particular, by a vocal section of Australians on social media? Or will it fizzle out as much as previous? Um, yeah. So I remember having this conversation about David Warner with a mate of mine. He said, that's it. David Warner will never be accepted by the Australian public again. You know, after Sandpaper Gate, all that sort of stuff. He's out. And I said, they'll love him the minute he makes another big score. And uh, when was it? Was it Pakistan test a couple of years ago? Suddenly everything was fawning all over David Warner. This is a really constant pattern in Australian cricket. When when we're not winning, we're not sledging enough. Uh, when we're not winning, we're soft. When we're not winning, insert whichever nonsense argument you, you have. Uh, you know, t- too much analytics, too much uh, friendship with the opposition team, too much blah, 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 blah. It's just like they're not winning. If they start winning again... All will be forgotten, and 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 things will move back, you know, quite quickly. So, uh, I think they lost the World Cup at home, didn't make the finals. Uh, I, as I, I've been on the record, I don't think they were that bad, but uh, you know, uh, it is new. It, it, there's also there's a touch of culture war about all this. I don't know how many times Pat Cummins has been in the Daily Mail with the Daily Mail trying to talk about his um, environmental uh, impact on the world. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there is a touch of culture war about this. And I think I saw this coming a long way out if you read some of my writing. That these modern Australian cricket was so much different to the, the Rod Marsh, Dennis Lilly, Slug Jordan, if you know anything. That sort of mindset of Australian cricket that the players aren't like that and they're from a different generation. And there is, I think there is a bit of a cultural war part of it as well. Um, but generally, it doesn't matter how disliked you are as an Australian cricketer, if you make a bunch of runs, suddenly everyone likes you again, please see Michael Clark, who was booed at the SCG once. Right? It's it's all bullshit. That's yeah. Anyway. Uh James says, How does um how does a modern international scorebox operate? What is the balance of computer scoring versus paper these days? Did they acknowledge that the umpires? Um uh, like we used to do in club trip. they still um you know stuff to acknowledge the umpires you know in the in the score they have the light that they flash for the umpires to say that they've seen them put their hand up um i believe that there are some scorers still doing it on uh paper but that even those scorers who do it on paper still have a system in front of them for um computers and everything else But I think the official scorebooks are still done on paper, but maybe not everywhere. There might be places where that's not the case. uh, We don't have the official scorers in the press boxes. And so I haven't seen it happen. Um, But from memory, it was still a combination of those two different things that was happening Um, last time I checked. I, I certainly don't think it's all digital anymore. Uh, Ian says, after a pretty good debut versus Australia, how do you think uh, Tajanarine, Achandra Paul, uh, oh, how good do you think he can go on to 26 isn't exactly a child prodigy. Well, he, the interesting thing for him is he was a child prodigy. And somehow the West Indians still didn't really race him into that side. Probably because that for a long time he, he had a similar sort of record to Brathwaite, perhaps. I don't even know why. I have to go back and have a look at it. I mean, I started following him when he was a teenager. And I've been shocked that it's sort of taken them this long to pivot towards him only because we've seen other players who just don't look any better than him. Not that I, I thought um, he's, you know, ever going to be a great cricketer. I would be shocked if he averaged 40 in test cricket, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was someone who could average, you know, mid mid to high thirties and do it in a way that was really useful for West Indian cricket. But I don't see him as someone who can break through to the 40 mark. Uh, he 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 certainly is a very, very good player. And the other thing I would say about him is, unlike many West Indian players coming into the scene, he's be, he's played a lot of first-class cricket. So he may not have a high, huge high upside, but I think the player that we saw um, against Australia is more or less the player that he is. Um, and he, that that should be good enough to get you in the West Indies team at the top of the order for a long time, I would have thought. And, you know, it may be a question for, you know, Michelle or Santoki uh, as to why the, they hadn't pushed him in beforehand. But from my perspective, I would have thought he would have already started to play two or three years ago. He has had some form slumps, I suppose, at times in first class cricket. But uh, you look at some of the other players that played and you're like, probably should have just brought you in. Christopher says, how much do you think England's new approach will have, uh, how much impact, I assume, you mean, will have on other sides, especially teams just being happy to play for a draw? Well, almost no one plays for a draw anymore. So draws have almost dropped off completely. So I think that has already, that changed before them. Surely the excuses won't be as valid for both sides if in a few weeks, uh, Pakistan and New Zealand play out a high-scoring draw. So if you go back and you have a look at the numbers of the West Indies and of Australia, you can see that other teams tried their methods. It didn't work. Now, I don't think this is a brilliant method that will win games for England everywhere, although I'm hoping I'm wrong and it completely changes cricket but I don't think it is. But if you look at any other team, and you know, me and Barrett talked about this in the podcast the other day, I don't think there is another team that has the players right now who can do this. So I don't think there is a way of emulating it. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, Travis Head and David Warner and uh, trying to think of some of the other, you know, uh, some of the other players, you know, Richard Pant. And, you know, th- there's, there's players who can play in that way, but there isn't, Six players or eight players um, who can, you know, do what is happening for England for other teams at the moment. So I don't. I I would probably unless you looked at the team and you're just like, well, look, this is what we've got. All these guys have this particular skill set, and we're trying to bat with Test players who we know are inferior but have better techniques. Let's just try this. <coughs> I think some teams will try that. I don't think it will work. Over time, it might be in five to ten years' time because. Global batting has changed so much, and maybe England will be the reason that it's changed. That will be the case. I can't see that happening now. Will says, what's your opinion on England's decision to leave folks out and continue with Pope as a keeper, especially how much Stokes backed him this summer? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, batting at number three and being a wicketkeeper should affect your overall runs. There should be a slight regression there. The other problem is, if, if they do that with Ollie Pope, how quick are they going to be to change back when they realise it doesn't work? Because do you really want to be in a si- position where Ollie Pope suddenly st- struggles consistently to make high end scores, which we've already seen him have troubles with in his career, and now you've got, uh, and now you've got this situation where his form is so bad that perhaps you know he's in danger of losing the his spot in the team. So folks comes back in in that situation, or Butler, whoever. Uh, whichever keeper gets the gloves in that situation. And then the next couple of games, Pope just has a normal couple of failures. Suddenly they're in a position where it could be seven or eight games where he's averaging again in mid-20s to 30s, and his position is in, in, in jeopardy. I just don't think that is what you want of a person who I still don't think is perfectly suited to batting at number three. I, I wouldn't have given him the gloves, uh, I suppose is what I'm saying. Uh, all right, let's get in the room. Uh, Walcott. Uh, is what William says in the chat before, um, hopefully, uh, when I was getting confused between Weeks and Walcott. I think it's Walcott, because Weeks was a specialist battle. I'm pretty sure that's right, but I get so confused with the three Warrels sometimes. Um, if anyone has any questions and wants to pop them into the room, uh, feel free. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I've got the big Indian series uh, going on YouTube at the moment. Uh, I've got a couple of other interesting things too. Uh, I want to maybe look at Bangladesh, Um over the last couple of years and see what whether this is a real stepping stone to something else or if it's just another, I don't know, false peak. What else was I working on? Uh, I've got a piece on, I always get this wrong, i missed missing Chris Lynn, Chris Green. I once asked, I once asked the Crick uh, Info stats uh, for all the bowling stats on, um, <laughs> on Chris Lynn. They came back, it was like four overs or something. I was like really thought I'd seen this guy bowl more. And then I realized I just asked for the wrong person, uh, which goes back to the Walcott and well, any, any people, even with the same first letter of their name or a second, it, it, you have no idea how like, how bad I am with those sorts of things. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, a bit of a tangent. But yes, yeah, so I'm, I, I want to look at Chris Lynn. So Chris Lynn just played his first first class games in his career, which is a really, really interesting thing. Wait, I said Chris Lynn again, didn't I? Chris Green just played his first first first-class games um, and did very well in them. Uh, Really interesting, you know, such a T20 specialist. I think he's been one of the most underrated cricketers. I don't want to say in the world, but certainly in Australia. um, There's a bit of, again, it's a little bit like, you know, a Benny Howell type situation where he's so different to everyone else that you don't even know how to fit him in. And, of course, Australia have tried a little bit and he has batting talent but isn't a batter um and his bowling is it's uber spoil right it's like almost Johan Bota level of of spoiler bowler so I I find that um I find that very very interesting from that perspective so um yeah it's uh I think it's certainly something that um I think is worth having a look at so I think those are the two things I've got I think the India series that I've done is five parts or six parts and that's quite deep on that and then hopefully over christmas i'll get a chance to finally finish my wobble ball piece so i've got a few different ones i've been working on at the moment uh thanks to everyone who asked questions today lovely discussion huge heaps of comments from patreon remember if you want your question definitely answered go to patreon and support us that way and go and follow all the different 99.94 podcasts out there as well thanks again i'll talk to you again next time thanks for listening to wagon wheel on 99.94 remember to download our app or just search for west indies india england south africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on youtube this show has an ad-free version via patreon which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well there is a link in the show notes and if you want more content well i have good news for you because we have a lot of things you can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapiya producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Sports
0: Social Podcast Network.